Okay, so we're going to get started on our sermon today, Correctly Handling the Word of Truth. Today is the last day of our semester-long sermon series called Building Belief and Right Reading of Scripture, and I would say that I hope this series has challenged you as much as it has challenged me. I hope that you've developed the belief that Scripture is useful for knowing God and knowing good and that scripture is useful for doing good. I hope you'll make reading and studying scripture part of your daily life so that you can continue to build beliefs that are based on scripture. And I hope that you will be transformed and be convicted that you must act on those beliefs, that you must put those beliefs into practice. And I want to start this morning by reading our text for today, which is 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 3, 17. And we're just going to read that together. Keep reminding God's people of these things. So my first question when I'm reading this is, what are these things? And if you go back and read before, you'll see that these things is referring to the gospel and what is involved in living out the gospel. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And we're going to see that mentioned several times, being prepared to do good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. See, that having a form of godliness but denying its power speaks to me of trying to look like a disciple but not really being a disciple. And when you look through that list, guys, that list, those are not things that we think of when we think of people that are non-Christians. We don't think of the sins that they commit. When we look at that list, those are sins we commit daily. Those are attitudes we hold that are wrong. And if we want to be disciples, then we need to stop just trying to look like it and start acting like it and actually be it. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Acts 17, 10 through 12 says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. I want us to start with a prayer. Um, God, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would point out your truth that you would reveal your message. And God, I just pray all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name, amen. As I prepared the sermon today, I read the two texts that we just read out loud together and decided that I needed to read all of 2 Timothy um, in order to, to prepare for today. And so I read um, 2 Timothy probably six or eight times this week, uh, just trying to get a feel for what is the full context of this. And so as I talk to you this morning, I'm going to pull scriptures in from other parts of 2 Timothy outside of our reading, um, so just be aware of that. In uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, 
we read Paul's admonition to Timothy to be a person who correctly handles the word of truth. And so one thing I think this indicates to us is that there is a correct way to handle the word. Really, our whole series has been about how to correctly handle the word. And this morning, I want to make two observations from the text that we just read, and then I want to give you some practicals from this series, leave you with that. In chapter 1, 11 and 12, it says this, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced or persuaded that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Now this phrase, what I have entrusted to him until that day, there's some disagreement on exactly what Paul is entrusting there. And it's a Greek word that's really difficult to express in the English. But if we were going to give it our best shot, it would read like this. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. My life, my salvation, my whole treasure, my joy, my eternal happiness until that day. That's the thought that Paul is expressing there. See, correctly handling the word of truth involves knowing who you've believed. It involves knowing God, and it's not just about knowing about God. It's about actually knowing who he is, his heart, his character, what pleases him, what's important to him, what he doesn't like. And as we come to know him, we start to act like him, and he transforms us through the scripture to be like him because scripture is transformative. Now, this is a little bit of a side note here, I guess, but I used to think that I knew God through experience, that that's how I came to know God. But what he has taught me is that I know him through scripture, And that trying to know him through experience first is a dangerous thing. Because here's what happens. Let's say that I have graduated from college, which I have. That I've been looking for a job, and I found one. And I start working it, and I'm doing my very best to do the very best job that I can, the very best work that I can. I'm trying to keep a good attitude, but I hate this job. It makes me anxious when I have to get up and go every morning, and I don't feel like it's where I want to stay. I just don't feel like I can keep doing this. And so I start praying, and I ask God to get me out of this job, but every door I try slams shut. See, if I try and know God by experience, then what I am going to conclude is that God is not trustworthy. I cannot trust him to take care of me. He doesn't care about what's going on in my life. My experience will teach me the exact opposite of the truth. If I know God through scripture first, 
I know God as trustworthy. I see in the Bible examples of how he is trustworthy. I see people in the Bible describe him over and over and over as being trustworthy. And I come to know him as trustworthy. And when I experience a situation like the one I just described, instead of concluding he's not trustworthy, I start looking for how he is trustworthy because that's who I know him to be. And he reveals to me the ways he is being trustworthy in that experience. And I learn through scripture. I let the scripture inform my experience with God and not the other way around. That's so, so important in knowing God through scripture. In this um, text that we read, um, 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And I just plucked that out as an example of how we know through Scripture what's important to God. Like we see there that pursuit of righteousness, faith, love, and peace is important to him. And it leads us to the question of why is that important to him? And is that important to me? And if it's not important to me, why is it not important to me if it's important to him? In 2, 23 through 25, it says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. See, we also see through Scripture what God doesn't like. God doesn't like quarrels. He doesn't like quarrelsome attitudes. He doesn't like us approaching people to win an argument. He wants us to gently instruct them in the truth, to lead them to him so that they will know him and they will know truth, not to argue not to be quarrelsome. So the first thing is that we come to know whom we believe through the scripture. The second thing is found in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then also in Acts 17, this idea of searching the Scripture daily. See, if we're going to correctly handle Scripture, then we need to be equipped for every good work, like it says in verse 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. N.T. Wright, in his book, Simply Christian, says it like this, The Bible is breathed out by God so that it can fashion and form God's people to do his work in the world. And so how does the Bible equip us? Well, it gives us right here four ways. The first one is teaching me. The Bible tells me things I didn't know before. It tells me things about God, about grace, about salvation, about redemption, 
about sin, about things in the church, about how to treat people, about the story of the Bible. It tells me things I didn't know before, and it continues to teach me and to reteach me. The second thing it does is it rebukes or it challenges. It gets in my face about the things I say I believe, but I don't actually live out consistently. It also uses the phrase turning our ears away from the truth and only listening to what feels good in chapter 4. And so it is the scripture will challenge us and rebuke us when we do that. And so here's an example of that. I tell Jesus I've given up everything. Everything is his so that I can follow him and be like him. It all belongs to him. He can interrupt my day anytime he wants to. He can interrupt my plan and send me elsewhere. And it's Friday night, and someone from Denton North posts on the Facebook page that there is a family in the Denton community that needs help moving Saturday morning. I have worked 50 hours this week. I have spent time with five people this week. And my plan for Saturday morning is that I'm going to sleep in and I'm going to relax. I deserve it. See, what I say I believe and what I say I've done is not lining up with my thoughts and my actions. And so what scripture will do is scripture will get in my face and point that out to me. It will change my thinking and my actions. Now here's the disclaimer I want to put on that. This is not going to happen like all at once. Like I'm not going to have this rotten attitude and all of a sudden decide to sit down and read scripture and scripture corrects me on that and gets in my face about that. What happens is as I read scripture... God uses it in moments like these to point out my crummy thinking and my crummy attitude. And through that process and over time, it begins to change me. The third way um, that scripture is useful is for correcting, for exposing my messed up ways of thinking and behaving. And I'll give you a personal example on this one. So the little copies that are sitting in your chair, I went to make copies yesterday morning, and I was in a hurry, which was my first mistake. I never should have gone when I was in a hurry. And so this man is helping me, and he puts my copies on the machine, and he walks away and starts helping another lady with what she's brought in. And I'm standing there for a few minutes, and then I go, that copy machine is not running. And so I look over at it, and I'm looking at him, and I'm kind of waiting, and so then I say, excuse me, but I I think there's something wrong with the machine. It's not running, and he's like, okay, and he just keeps helping this other lady, and meanwhile, I'm looking at my watch, and I'm thinking, I've got to get going here. I've got places to be, and so I start thinking to myself, I was here first. He should have asked her to wait and come help me, How long am I going to have to stand here and wait for him? Well, I'm going to let him know about it when he comes over here. And so after I sit here and think about this for a while, Scripture corrects me. It reminds me in my head, honestly, I start thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if it was always about you? 
But it's not always about you, is it? And didn't Jesus give up just a few rights or two for you to be able to be saved? And is it really going to be that big a deal if you're running a few minutes late to the next thing that you have to do? See, it just starts eating at me, and it starts exposing my messed up way of thinking. And here's one of the real kickers to this that I started thinking about later is, it was really easy to be convicted when what it says at the top of the page that he's printing is whatever it says. What does it say? Reading scripture on your own? Yeah, reading scripture on your own. But that wasn't what stopped me this time. (laughs) I would love to say that I'm always, um, you know, that cognizant, but I'm not. Um, What stopped me was not going, he's going to look at that and he's going to know you're a Christian, that you treated him really cruddy this morning. No, what stopped me was that I wanted him to see Jesus in me. Not that I wanted him to go, oh, she's a Christian, she did things right. I wanted to act like Jesus because scripture transforms our thinking and our actions is the only reason that I could think that when I was standing there. And then the fourth one is training in righteousness. That's just showing me how to live God's way. So an example of that would be if Kurt and I had been arguing a lot. And the last time that we argued, he gets really angry and he says some things that really hurt my feelings. And so what I want to do is I just want to give him the cold shoulder. I want to be short with him. I want to just kind of, you know, very passively let him know that I'm not happy. But over the years, what has happened is scripture has taught me that Jesus expects me to resolve conflict He expects me to meet it head on and not try and avoid it. And that he expects me to forgive. And he expects me to respond in a way that doesn't hurt. See, he's trained me how to live the way that God wants me to live. Guys, that's not intuitive. Most of the things I mentioned are not intuitive. I'm not going to know that on my own. I'm not going to be that on my own. It's only through scripture and through the power of the Holy Spirit that that's going to happen. Okay, another side note. When my son Cale was a sophomore in high school, we moved him at semester from Garland High School, where he had over 700 in his class, to Wiley Prep Academy, where he had 10 in his class. He was taking AP history, I mean AP chemistry, at Garland High School. And it was very lab-based. It was very experiential. And at WPA, they didn't have a a lab, and so their curriculum was very book, very knowledge-based. And so he was having trouble making that transition. And the other thing about WPA is that he went to class three days a week, but two days a week, I homeschooled him. Okay, I took chemistry in high school in 10th grade And that was the last time I touched chemistry. I hated it. I had a pretty good GPA, and I barely squeaked by chemistry with a C and was so happy to be done with it, hoped I never had to look back at it again. But here we were, and I was the teacher. And I was the one 
that was going to have to pass that along to him. But I didn't learn it the first time. I never studied it again. And my trying to teach him about chemistry by reading the book now when I'd never learned it the first time, well, let me just say it didn't work out too well. I could help him a little, but I couldn't help him much. And one belief I brought to this particular scripture that we just went over it when I read it was that it was about other people. It was about me being able to use scripture in order to challenge and rebuke and teach and train other people. But this scripture is about us first. It's about scripture doing that for us. Now, certainly we can take it and do those things with other people as well. But we, when we try to apply scripture to other people before it's worked in our lives, it doesn't work out well. It's not the way God intended it. He intends it to work on us first, and as we learn and as we grow, for it to work on other people through our studying the word with them as well. We don't have to be perfect, but we have to be willing to be taught ourselves if we're going to share anything of value with others. So one of the things that we want to ask of Scripture is, what does this mean for my day-to-day life? What do I need to change? What am I doing that I need to stop doing? What am I not doing that I need to start doing? And we need to let it transform us. 2 Timothy 3.7 uses the description of always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. We won't ever come to a knowledge of the truth if we don't apply what we learn, if we don't let it equip us. N.T. Wright, again, in his book, Simple Christian, says, the Bible is there to enable God's people to be equipped to do God's work in God's world, not give them an excuse to sit back smugly knowing they possess all God's truth. If we don't put it into action, it is of no value to us. The point of scriptural knowledge is not to fill our heads, but to change our lives so we are equipped for every good work. To use the Bible for knowledge without application is to misuse it. It's to not use it correctly. We have to let it equip us, and as we do, it will transform us. So as Brad and I were talking this week um, about kind of summing up this series, I told him, this is overwhelming to me. Like, we have talked about so much during this series, I have no idea how to sum this up. And as those words came out of my mouth, it occurred to me, you probably feel the same way. (laughs) Like, I've got tons and tons of notes, and what am I going to do with all of this? Like, how am I going to use this practically? And so Brad and I worked on a handout that we hope will give you some practical application for this series. It should have been in your chair when you sat down. If it wasn't um, and you need one, um, I've still got some more. So if you'll let me know afterwards. or Actually, Josh, can you get those? They're right in front of you on that seat. And there are some people right back over here that need, need one. Over here. And if anybody else needs one, if you'll just keep your hand up, Josh, I'll bring it to you. And so we just kind of narrowed it down. What we were thinking is we wanted to be able to give you something that you could have with you by your Bible when you're reading. 
that would just give you a little bit of guidance. Guys, there is nothing magical about what we gave you. It's just seriously a summarization of what we think are some important questions to ask, some important things to do in reading scripture correctly. The other thing I would say about this is that um, for those of you that even looking at this are like, I have no clue. If you want help with that, ask me or Brad or any of our leadership team, and we'll be happy to sit down with you and kind of walk you through what that looks like. Um, I'll tell you that it's much easier for me to show you what that looks like than to tell you what that looks like. It's really hard for me to kind of, to kind of verbalize that. There's just a couple of things on that sheet. Obviously, you can read, so I'm not going to read it to you. But there are a couple of things I want to say about it. One is um, how to read the Bible for all it's worth by Gordon Fee is a good help with some of these things like different translations to read in, um, letting the authority of the author guide your thinking, some of those things. It's helpful with that. It's also helpful for knowing how to pick out a chunk of scripture to read. On number one, under read, point D is reflect, and it says journaling thoughts and writing scripture helps with this. This is something that I have, I've always journaled. I journal a lot. But one of the things I've started doing fairly recently that's helped me a lot is just writing chunks of scripture. Um, And I think that probably that has to do with a learning style, and so that may not be beneficial to all of you. But to some of you, I would say that if you have trouble remembering, writing it out helps get it into your mind and helps you to remember that. And so that's what that's referring to there when it says writing scripture. It's just writing out chunks of scripture about what you're reading. When I journal, I journal questions I have as I read. I journal thoughts that I want to think about some more as I read. I journal things I definitely want to remember to put into action. And then down on number five, hear from God. On B, it says, how have I interacted with and heard from God as a result of putting this into practice? And I just want to hit on that next line there. This will require considerable time and reflection in the following days, weeks, and months. Sometimes, most of the time, you're not going to be able to answer that question right away. You're not going to be able to answer that question at the end of a week. That's something that you need to come back to and think about some more over the next period of time as God works that in you. So give that time. And I just want to conclude this morning um, by hopefully really encouraging you and really giving you an idea of why building belief in the right reading of Scripture is so important. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And I'm going to show a video. I showed this actually a couple of years ago, um, but I'm going to show it again, and I'm going to make a different point with it today. So it's just a short clip.
video. But one of the things I love about it is I love that it shows at the beginning that he is running as hard as he can. Guys, this is the Olympics. He is putting it all out there. He is holding nothing back and running as hard as he can. And I want to run like that. I want to run as hard as I can for as long as I can. And I want to take as many people with me as possible. And if at any point I get injured, I'll limp until the end. I'll crawl across at the end, but I will not give up. I will not quit. And why? Why? Why does it matter? Why is it important? The reason is because I know who I have believed. How do I know him? Scripture. And I am persuaded. How am I persuaded? Scripture. That he is able. How do I know he's able? Scripture. To keep that which I've committed, my life, my treasures, my salvation, my joy, my happiness unto him against that day. How do I know that day is coming? Scripture. See, in chapter 4, Paul says, Everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And he'll do the same thing for us. How do I know? Scripture. Scripture is important for knowing God and knowing good and being equipped to do good. Our God deserves our best, and he deserves us to correctly handle the word he's given us. As we take communion together today, I want us to think about who have we believed in and how is he able to keep the promise of salvation to us? And I want you to know, if you're a guest here this morning, that we take communion seriously. That we believe we ought to examine ourselves daily. But that we don't believe we can do an effective job of examining ourselves in one or two minutes on a Sunday morning before we take communion. And so we encourage our body to do that during the week and at home and on a daily basis. And when we come together to take communion on a Sunday, we like to celebrate, to celebrate what our Jesus has done for us and what he's doing in our lives. And so we may be a little loud and we may laugh and we may have fun together, but it's because we celebrate Jesus. Um, We'll have three people at the back that will be holding a tray of bread and a cup of juice, and we just take the bread and dip it into the juice, and that's how we take communion together. 
So we're going to pray, and then we'll take communion, and then if you can move back to your seats fairly quickly, and then we'll finish up with some worship songs. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how we come to know you through that word. I thank you, God, that you haven't left us to figure out what it means to be trustworthy, to figure out what it means to be kind, to figure out what it means to give everything, but that you've shown us through your word and you equip us to do the things that you call good. God, I pray that as we become equipped through your word, that we'll go out and do good things for your honor and your glory. God, I pray that we'll represent Jesus well. I thank you for his commitment to us, for his sacrifice for us. And God, I just thank you for our salvation. We love you so much, and we thank you for loving us, being patient and kind with us. And we thank you for caring enough about us that you speak to us and that you transform us through your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.